Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. One of the joys of, of being a pastor is that I get to get to know a lot of young and, and sometimes not so young guys and gals who want to minister and uh, who want to kind of get in the process of discovering just what maybe God is up to in their lives. Like maybe God wants them to plant a church. Maybe God wants them to be a part of a staff or uh, just in the discovery phase. Uh, last week I told the church that I've been working with a group of uh, four guys and one lady that, that um, what I called my pit crew, my preachers in training, and my, or my pastors in training. And this morning, in each service, one of these guys each are going to be sharing. And so this morning, we have Doug Gonzalez. He's going to be pre- – Doug is a wonderful young man who loves Jesus. He'll tell you a little bit about him. But come on up here, Doug, because I want to pray for you, and we're going to cut you loose. I, I don't – I want to say this too. I gave them a topic that every preacher shakes and trembles over. All right, and so uh, they, I've already heard the sermons. They're they're wonderful, and I just want you guys to support and pray for Doug as he comes and shares God's word with us. Father, thank you for the opportunity of being able to hear your word this morning. Open our ears, open our heart. Holy Spirit, come. We welcome you here. Speak to us through Doug, through your word, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Good morning. Can everybody hear me good? All right. Good-looking bunch of people you are. All right. Uh, Well, first, um, as Tim said, my name is Doug. And a little bit about me. I've been going to church here for about a year, actually over a year in November. Um, I have a beautiful wife named Christy of five years and a beautiful baby boy named Dougie III, um, and he is nine months old. He's awesome. Um, I've been passionately following Jesus um, since I was 12 years old. Um, he found me, and my life has been different ever since. So uh, without further ado, I'm just going to pray just to kind of get my head right, and then um, we'll jump right in, okay? Uh, Father, thank you so much for this opportunity. I pray that this morning you give me the gift of teaching. Um, that you give me the ability to preach your word, um, and that it goes out and it changes lives, Father. That's why we're here, and so we love you. Um, we ask that your presence be here this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, so we are talking about the subject of money. More specifically, <laughs> we're talking about the subject or the discipline of giving. Now, I know what you're thinking. We've heard this message before, um, and it basically can go in four different ways. We've heard preachers kind of cover this topic before, right? Imagine, if you will, for a moment, you have something that I want, right? There's a couple different ways I could get it from you. First one would be aggressively. I could just tackle you to the ground and pry your fingers open and wrestle you around and take it from you, right? That's one way I could do it. Uh, Secondly would be suggestively, right? I'd kind of dangle something pretty in from you, something sparkly, kind of something you're into. And as you lean into that, you begin to let go of the thing that you're holding, right? Um, Third one 
which is actually my personal favorite, would be passively, which is say nothing and hope for the best, um, which concludes my sermon for this morning. So, um, no, nah, I'm kidding. I, I can't get out that easy. <laughs> um, so these, these three different ways is where we've seen kind of pastors cover this you know, issue of money. Um, the aggressive one where basically they kind of lean over the end of the pulpit and they point their finger at you and they tell you you're a sinner and you need to put the money in the plate um, and you need to have more faith. And it's, it's very uh, aggressive, sort of like a bullying. Um, that suggestive one, we see that a lot in kind of the, the health and wealth gospel kind of movements or the name it and claim it where uh, the more you give, the more you get. And so, um, you know, I can kind of entice you by the promise of more, if that makes sense. Um, and then that third one, the passive one, is like, hey, a lot of us are really scared to talk about this subject. Uh, money is a very personal and close thing to a lot of us. And so, um, you know, we have to be careful with that. Um, but I believe, honestly, it is important to talk about money. I mean, we have to keep the lights on. Let's just be real practical about it. Um, I know there's, this is a vineyard church, so we've got a pile of candles somewhere just waiting to be burned. But we do need <laughs> to keep the lights on. Um, and so I think there's another way. There's another way to cover this, and um, that would be exhortation. Um, if you don't know what that word means, it's a biblical term, and it simply means uh, to caution earnestly, to caution earnestly. Um, I think that uh, there's a way we can talk about the discipline of giving in two ways. Okay, number one, I would like to highlight how dangerous the pursuit of money actually can be. Uh, the reality is we all pursue money in some way. This is the American culture. And so um, whether you work, okay, or you're a homemaker and you support your spouse, or you're in school kind of training for your future job, we're all in this pursuit of money. Um, It's the carrot on the stick of our culture. It's the guiding light to most of the choices that we make. Um, So as we look at that, we're going to, okay, first, the dangers of pursuing money, we all do it. Secondly, uh, how does God teach us to guard against those dangers. So those are two places we're going this morning. Our text is 1 Timothy 6, the second half of verse 2 through verse 10. I'll give you a second to get there. If you don't know uh, anything about kind of what's going on in this moment, Paul is writing a letter to his little protege, his disciple, uh, Timothy. He's been left in charge of a small group of uh, believers in the city of Ephesus. And so he's been charged with pastoring this little flock. Now, some issues were coming up uh, during this day where basically uh, false teachers were coming in and they were teaching that, uh, you can see it in the passage, that godliness was a means of gain. Um, So there's this issue surrounding financial success and around uh, wealth um, that's kind of disrupting the body. And so Paul's going to write directly about this issue and we'll see what he has to say. Okay, hopefully you're all there. Uh, verse, let's start in verse 2. I'm going to go ahead and read it to you, since I don't have any PowerPoint. I apologize. Um, Here we go. These are the things you are to teach and insist on. So right off the bat, he says, okay, buddy, this is what you need to do. Um, Talking to Timothy, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. So right off the bat, Paul's going to say, okay, this is how I feel about these guys who are teaching false doctrine. They're teaching the wrong gospel, 
about this godliness is gain issue. This is how he feels about them. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means of financial gain. So, you know, we're seeing this. He's, he's not pulling, pulling back any punches here. He's saying, these are not good people. Don't be around these kinds of people. This is not an okay way to live. They cause problems and stress and strife. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now, here we go. This is the hinge of the whole verse. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, we look at verse 9, okay? Verse 9, he says, um, those who want to get rich. See, we've all heard that phrase, more money, more problems. Um, Well, Paul says, his first warning is even the desire of wealth can be problems. It can lead to sin. So it's not more money, more problems. It's wanting more money, more problems. I'll give you an example. All right, it's my sophomore year of high school, okay? Uh, We all started driving and and getting our licenses. And so the opportunity for going out for burgers and hanging out with pretty girls just went way up, right? Now, if you know anything about pretty girls and burgers, they cost money. It's just the way it is, right? (laughs) Um, And at 15 and 16, it was in pretty short supply, and I really, really needed it. So uh, one day, it's after gym class, um, a kid's pulling his clothes out of one of the lockers, and his wallet falls on the ground. And he walks away. No idea he left it there. I was the only one who saw it. So I walk over. I pick up the wallet. 30 beans inside this thing. Okay? Now, to a 15 or 16-year-old, this is huge. This is like gas money. This is food. This is like going out on the weekend. Now, when I was writing this down, I kind of was like tempted to say, and then I returned his wallet, and great joy was had in the kingdom. But I totally stole it. I totally stole this kid's wallet. (laughs) I couldn't help myself. Um, The reality is, hear me on this. My desire to do good was overridden by my desire for money. Make sense? And it can happen to you guys if we're not careful. Um, Now, before I go any further, I will say, by the grace of Jesus, I haven't stolen any 10th graders' wallets in the last 12 years. So I'm glad about that. (laughs) Let's keep going. Okay, verse 10. Verse 10. Um, He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. This phrase, the love of money, begs a little bit of a kind of an in-depth look. It's actually one word in the Greek. It's uh, philagoria. Say it with me, class. Philagoria. Well done. Proud of you. You guys are making me look good. I like that. Um, Okay, so this word, philagoria, is actually two Greek words put together. So Paul takes two words, puts them together to make this one word, and it means the love of money. Okay? So let's start with the first half. Okay? Philo. Philo, we may have heard before. It means usually brotherly love. All right, Philadelphia, you've heard that kind of thing before. Uh, well, actually, there's a second term for that. It's more of a title. Um, in ancient Jewish culture, when you wanted to get married, you would, um, basically, your best man would initiate contact between you and your future bride. Um, and they called him the philo, right? So the philo would go, and he would uh, tell the woman, hey, this man's interested in you, and he would basically intermediate the entire process um, of the marriage ceremony, right? Second word. Argurus, uh, it simply means the physical element of silver, um, which on the surface doesn't mean anything, just silver. 
Um, but the reality is, idols were formed out of silver. You following where I'm going with this? Okay. So if you don't know what an idol is, I'll just define it really quick. Um, in that day, it was a physical statue or representation of some created thing in the world um, that you kind of went to for your identity. It's the thing that you identified with. Um, nowadays, you could basically define it as anything, whether physical or emotional, that anchors you. Uh, that which you run to for providing worth, value, um, feeling of belongings. Basically, your identity in place of Christ. That's an idol, okay? So, uh, Paul says, this is the root. This is the beginning. The starting point of so many other sins starts here. When you view money like the passionate pursuit of your future bride. That's what he says. He says, when you look at this, when, when money becomes in this place in your life where it's the completing piece of your puzzle, we're going to fall into all kinds of temptations and all kinds of traps. And that's important for us to understand. See, I can remember when I was pursuing my, my wife, Christy, I would do everything I could to get this woman's attention. I made friends with her friends. Um, I took an interest in the stuff she was interested in just to hang out more. I think at one embarrassing moment, we I sang. There was some singing involved there. Um, you know, I'm not proud of that, but you do what you got to do when you're in love. You do these things. Um, I was bending myself in every possible angle um, to be with this woman. And Paul says we can do this with money, and it can get pretty sticky pretty fast. We see examples of this love of money leading to destruction all the time. Um, for example, there are a lot of moral failures. Do you guys remember um, in the news a few years ago, Bernie Madoff, Madoff? Remember that guy? Siphoned off millions of dollars from people. Just stole, uh, pathologically stole from people. You would think, like, after the first million, he'd, like, calm down, you know. I have a job, so I'll do my job, and I have an extra million. He couldn't help himself. Had to keep going, had to keep going until eventually he got caught. Um, this pursuit of money when it's such a way uh, that it's completing you um, can lead to depression and suicide. Do you remember in 2007 when the market turned down? The men of Wall Street were hanging themselves in the basements of their million-dollar homes, uh, they couldn't see a life past um, this thing that they had held so dear. Even something as simple as disproportionate priorities, the sacrifice of family on the altar of work. Let me ask you this. I'm going to get real personal, but don't respond. Um, how tempting is it to cheat on your taxes? Let's be honest. How tempting is it to say, okay, you know what? I want a little bit more for myself, so I'm going to figure out a way to kind of fudge the numbers or kind of work things out so I can get a little bit more for me quiet in here, I know. Um, okay, uh, see, when it comes to this uh, whole issue of money, something as simple as missing out on an opportunity to bless another person can happen because we're so consumed in our head with work and what's going on and, and how do I get there? How do I get to the next level that we miss an opportunity where God brings somebody right into your world and yet you can't be a blessing to them because you're so up in your own headspace. Um, something even as simple as that there's no shortage of temptation. There's no shortage of dangers when it comes to this pursuit of money. Uh, here's another example. Um, let's say you're so, uh, let's say you're in sales, for instance, um, and you're always thinking about the next sale, and you're always thinking about the next uh, moment that you're motivated, perhaps, to provide the moment for your family, yet you're missing out on actually enjoying it with them. Does that make sense? So there's all kinds of things that kind of filter through this idea of pursuing money that are mostly things we should be guarding against. Now, 
before I go any further, I need to give you a little disclaimer. Uh, God wants us to be good stewards of our money. Okay, he wants us to take care of our family. He wants us to take care of ourselves and, and, and enjoy the blessings of being a child of God. This isn't necessarily a message about the evils of making a living, uh, nor is it about, the, about the, uh, you know, the excitement of, yeah, God's blessed you, and so you have a lot of money, and so this is exciting. It, it's not about either of those things. I think Proverbs 38 and 9 puts it best. He says, uh, don't let me tell lies. Don't let me be too rich or too poor. Give me only enough for each day. If I have too much, I may deny that I need you, Lord, but if I'm too poor, I might steal and shame the name of my God. See, the issue here is there's a ditch on both sides. We can't be extreme one way or the other. I think the most important thing is it's not about whether you have a lot and you're a pastor with a million-dollar home or you have a little and you've got 17 adopted kids and you have no way to put them through college. That's not what this is about. This is about uh, the character of the giver, the relationship between you and God. So, how then do we guard ourselves against these things? Before I go any further, I want to level the playing field for everybody in the room, okay? Here we go. If you have money in your bank, change in your wallet, clothes on your back, which I see most of you do, and uh, food in your refrigerator back home, get this, you are in the top 8% of the richest people in the world. 8%. That means 92% of the world population is not as wealthy as the people in this room right now. I want you to bear that in mind as we go to the next section. Okay, 1 Timothy 6, but we're going to jump to verse 17. Here we go. Command those who are rich, you guys, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation. Oops, I lost my place. For the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. See, how do we guard against it? First things first, he says, set your hopes on God. Put your priority at the center of your life, the first thing, the very thing that makes you move and breathe and, and make decisions in life is God and understanding that everything that comes uh, into your life that's a blessing comes from him. That's the first priority. Money is a secondary or a third or a fourth. It's, it's nothing in comparison to who God is and what he did in your life. So first is our perspective. Second, something very practical, do good. How, well, how much good? Be rich in good deeds. That's what he says. Do good. Be rich in good deeds. That's like as basic as you can possibly get. Love people. Take care of people. Take care of widows. Make meals for people and bring them to the hospital. Pray for people. Um, it's very simple. Be rich in good deeds. And the third one is simply be generous and ready to share. And ready to share. See, this isn't just a this isn't just a message about um, this is, it's important to give money to the church. This is about the character of the giver. This is about a person who loves Jesus and who has money in that spot in their life, that it is a means to do these things. Then you begin to have what's called the character of the giver. You see, whenever God asks us to do something in his word, there's basically two reasons why. The first one is the growth and the benefit of the believer. God asks you to do something because it's good for you and because it helps you grow and help you become more like Christ. 
And then the second thing, and I believe the most important one, is to the glory of his name. That's why he asks us to do things. You can answer that if you want. Um, okay, so when, when we do these things with our time and our money, okay, first off, we silence the voice in our hearts that wants us to pursue money for the wrong reasons, therefore growing our faith in such a way that is beautiful and brings glory to God. And secondly, when we give cheerfully and dedicate ourselves to generosity, it sings of the glory of God who first saved us. Amen. That's good stuff. Okay. So I can remember, um, it was my first year of marriage. We were in Corpus Christi, Texas, and I had never been inside a mega church before, ever. Um, I didn't even know churches like this existed up till this point. So I walk in, and uh, there's this beautiful just building, and there's food everywhere in the foyer. There's orange juice and granola bars and bananas and people shaking hands and smiling. They got the name tags, and I was like, this is amazing. I've never seen anything like this. So I go in the auditorium, and there's, you know, almost a 1,000 people in the actual auditorium part. I mean, this is a huge church. And uh, I was amazed. And the cool thing was is that every year on Christmas, they would give away over a million dollars in gifts to the community. We're talking houses, cars, food, clothing, bicycles, you name it. They were giving these things away every year. And then I realized uh, that first day, uh, why they're able to do that. So the band comes in, it's these all sleek-looking band, and they're all cool with their hair gelled, and they're playing their guitars, and it's awesome, you know? And, uh, and the music dies down, and they go, okay, everybody, it's time to give. And I kid you not, a thousand people erupted in joy. I'm talking clapping and cheering and getting excited because it was time to give. I have never seen anything like that in my life. And I realized that It was the joyful giving that equipped them to be able to do the work of the kingdom. They were a blessing to their community because they were excited about funding it. See, I borrowed this from Tim. Uh, When we were talking about this message, he said, yeah, it can't get you if you don't have it. Talking about money. And I thought, yeah, you're absolutely right. He said, if you view yourself as a... uh, as a changer of hands or changing hands, if you view money that way, as it's just a tool. It doesn't make you. You just use it. It says then you're in a good spot. See, when it comes to the discipline of the giver, the question for us as believers, for you and I, is not why should I give, but why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I want to help the fund the movement of the kingdom of heaven in my local community and abroad? So, friends, I challenge you this morning to give first because Jesus gave. Not because of his money. He didn't have any. Not his time. He didn't live very long. But of his very life. The Bible says he was a ransom for many, for you and for I. He paid for us. And the reality is we can't pay him back, and nor does he ask us to. We just simply respond with joy, overwhelming joy that he did. And so I want to try something with you this morning. Um, It's interesting. We're going to practice it once, and then we're going to pray, okay? Uh, When we ask for the tithes and offering this morning, 
I think it would be amazing to have Seacoast Vineyard get real jacked up about the fact that we're about to give. <laughs> all right? So I want to practice it once, okay? And I want you guys to get excited. Some clapping, do what you got to do, all right? All right. So this morning, we're going to take up our tithes and offerings. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Wow. I was expecting to have to ask you to do it again, but that was amazing. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Okay, so that's where it leaves us. Friends, we need to have the character of the giver, somebody who gives joyfully, who gives excitedly, who is partaking of the movement of the kingdom of heaven here and abroad. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.